I wonder if you have ever made a decision that you regretted. <laughs> I have. From your laughs, I'm guessing you have as well. Uh, some of those things have been big things. Uh, we make a lot of decisions, right? We, they can be big things. They can be little things. There are things that we decide about that we agonize over. Uh, there are things that we kind of just decide in a more of a trifling kind of way. There's things that we probably shouldn't have agonized over. There's things that we probably should have given a little more thought to. Uh, I am usually amazed <laughs> at people who can make decisions really pretty, uh, pretty easily to make something, a decision that's very courageous, very wise, and to do so seemingly without a lot of effort. I appreciate that. I think of one time in particular, maybe about 12 years ago, that I was in Agora Hills with my wife, Karen, and it was before we knew that we would be living anywhere near here, that we would be in this area at all, uh, but we were in Agora Hills visiting with a friend, and it happened to be about, I think, 4th of July kind of time. I think that's what was going on, and there was a parade, and if you know Agora Hills at all, you know it's not a very bustling city. Uh, and there was a parade that was coming down Reyes Adobe, and I, it, I'm, this is not an exaggeration, there were more people in the parade than watching it, okay? So it was mostly like a club of people who wanted to walk down the middle of the street, is what I think it was. Uh, but among the people that were there, I think that, uh, among the people that were, that were there was Dick Van Dyke was on one of the floats coming down. I think that his son was the mayor at the time or something like that. And we were sitting there, and the funny part is, you know, we could kind of talk with the people on the, on the floats as they went by. We're like, hey, that looks cool. And they'd be like, thank you. You know, like, it was like that. It was kind of very intimate. Uh, so she sees Dick Van Dyke, and she stands up, takes our son Samuel, he was a baby at the time, and walks over and just shakes his hand and, and just says hi. And I did not, right? And at the time, afterwards, I, I thought, why didn't I go with her, right? I, I think I was afraid that there would be some secret security guard who would yell at me, or like, maybe, I don't, I don't know, I, would be, I was worried somehow that people would think something strange of me, but she had that experience. She got to go and say hi and exchange a few pleasantries. It was really cool. And I took a picture from a distance of her from behind. That was all I could do. Um, <laughs> I kind of regret that. I regret that, and, it's, and that's a silly thing, right? It's a silly little thing that didn't really affect my life, but it does make me ask the question of other things that we decide, and we can ask the question, what is the thing that's driving us? Well, what's the thing that, it, the voice that we hear in our head that either keeps us from doing the thing that we kind of should have wanted to do, or maybe pushes us to do the thing that we didn't really need to do or shouldn't have wanted to do. Uh, we want to make better, good decisions, and the, we want to not get into too much trouble with those things, and especially for things that actually matter, not just shaking a celebrity's hand. Well, the Bible does talk a lot about making decisions and does try to help us to be people who can make better decisions and to do that more confidently and to do it more wisely. There's a whole book dedicated to making decisions and having wisdom for doing that. It's called the Book of Proverbs, and it helps people to understand some ideas for how we can make those kinds of decisions on a regular basis. The New Testament has plenty of letters written to people who have made poor decisions and helping them to make more godly ones. Or we also come to narrative portions of Scripture, like what we've been reading in the book of King, uh, this Kingdoms, as we've been doing Immerse, reading from Judges to Second Kings. And 
in there, there's a lot of narration about people's lives where we see the playing out of decisions, small and large, in people's lives and the impact that that may have on people in the long term. And it's, it's a great place to do that because in our lives, we only kind of see right here in front of us. We, we're right here making our decisions. Here in these books, we're able to take a grander view of how things work it, throughout the long play of someone's life and the implications for those things. It's really helpful. That's one of the things I've been taking from this study in the book of, uh, as we study through these books, as we read through Immerse. We have one more week of Immerse up ahead, so it'll be to come to the end of 2 Kings. We, as we go into this passage, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 22, maybe not a passage that you have thought about for decision-making before, or maybe you're not even familiar with at all. That's okay. If you have your Bible or your app, you can turn to 1 Kings 22, and as you do so, I'm going to invite the Lord to, to bless this time in his word. Lord, we ask you to shape us by your word. May we be people who who make courageous yet wise decisions because you're the one in the driver's seat. I pray that we will listen to you, that we will be courageous because of who you are, that we will follow through on those things. May, may you help us to be people who, who hear your word, digest it, it goes in our hearts, and it comes out in our actions. That's what we want. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 22. And we're going to see that, we're going to, we're, as we're doing this, I want, I want us to think about one image. Um, we're thinking about what are the things that undermine our decision-making, that we want to make these good, courageous, wise decisions, but there are things that undermine those good decisions. When I was in, in City College, uh, I was um, attending college not far from my house for a couple of years. I got a job as kind of a lackey in a... Uh, in an engineering firm that was near my home. And this engineering firm, their specialty was to try to figure out where there would be possible problems in large-scale projects. So they would look for places where there was going to be a failure. For example, if you're going to build a large-scale pipeline that goes under sea between two, two cities, a very expensive project, they would try to find all the places where a possible failure would happen. So they would give them advice on, hey, here's places where the, this is the type of steel that you should choose. These are the materials. This is the way that you should build it. Here are some possible problem areas. That's helpful for us as well. If we look at possible breakdowns where the failure might occur, it's going to help us to be people who can make better decisions. And in our passage here in 1 Kings, we're going to see three places where failures are going to happen. And the failures are going to happen for them when we fail to let God take control, when we fail to speak as God would want us to, and when we fail to chart a different course. And we'll get to that, a different course than what is all around us in our culture all right, the, and what we're going to see this is it, there's three different people in this story who kind of epitomize these types of decisions for good or for bad. Uh, and we're going to start off with this first person is a guy named King Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, and he fails to let God be in charge. All right, let's, let's go ahead and read that, that passage. For three years, there was no war between Aram and Israel. Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. 
Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and said, and asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, But first, uh, let's find out what the Lord says about this. So the king of Israel summoned his prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, Should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? That's the right answer. Or should I hold back? They all replied, yes, yes, go ahead. The Lord will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord, a prophet of Yahweh, who, will give the, uh, who we can ask of here? Is there no prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who we could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of the officials and said, quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, king Ahab of of Israel, and king Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. There in, uh, and all of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, made some iron horns. It's this guy went the extra mile, right? He made some iron horns, and he said, this is what the Lord says. With these horns, you will gore the Arameans to death. Yes. And all the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Unanimous. They are all for it. And, and so the, all this is going on while they've sent off this guy to go pick up Micaiah. So before we get a little bit more into this, I want to give you some background on this guy, Ahab. Uh, he's an interesting guy. So if, if David is the measuring stick in the, throughout Scripture, throughout Old Test, the Old Testament, of goodness, Ahab and his wife Jezebel end up being the measuring stick for evil. In the Bible. Previous to him, there was another guy named Jeroboam that they said, hey, this is, this is kind of bad, like the epitome of bad people. But after Ahab, all the other kings who are compared to somebody who is evil, they say they were evil like Ahab. Uh, he ends up being the, the epitome of evil. He, he has, um, he's a marquee bad guy. Uh, in fact, in 1 Kings, uh, do we have a slide for that? 1 Kings 16, 30, it says this. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than all of the kings, any of the kings before him. So he is a bad guy. So if, if your intention in life is to make a mark and make a name for yourself, Ahab did that, okay? There are good ways and bad ways to make a mark or make a name for yourself. <laughs> so Ahab, he, he's going to fail to let God be in charge. It's not totally surprising to us, considering the fact that he's considered an evil person, but it's helpful. But I want us to put ourselves, I, I think that Ahab is going to be able to help us to think about this idea of making wise decisions. We can put ourselves in his position. I'm not saying that all of us are as evil as he is, but he has a plan. He's a guy with a plan. And he, he's got some good reasons for doing that thing. He wants to, to move forward with that. You know, Ramoth Gilead used to belong to Israel. Like, it kind of makes some sense. This, this is something that is ours, and hey, why shouldn't we do something with that? And it says in our text that there had been kind of near-continuous war between Israel and Aram during that period. And hey, it had been a few years. Maybe we're due. 
let's have a little fight and try to work that out and, and to be able to fight and get this back. So why not do that? Maybe they're the ones who should do that. So he has kind of made up his mind about what he's going to do. He says, I, I know that I want to take this thing back, and there's nothing really that needs to stop him. And he, he has asked all of his prophets, and they've agreed, so he can turn to Jehoshaphat, his, his buddy, fellow king, and he's like, hey, man, look, all signs point to go. Let's do this thing. This is easy, easy decision for him. So even with this dramatic guy with the horns and everything, that's pretty memorable. It's going to stick in our minds. So it's, it's pretty easy. But it's interesting is that he knows there's one other guy that he hasn't asked. I wonder if that's ever happened to you as well, that there are times when you have a decision to make or you have some thoughts, and you run it by certain people, but you specifically avoid asking a certain person or a certain group of people, not because they're not wise, but because you know that they're going to ask you questions that you don't want to answer, or maybe that they're not going to go along with what you, your program is. You have a clear program, and this person's going to muck it up for you. And this guy, Jehoshaphat, he sees kind of how ridiculous this group of 400 yes-men prophets is, and, how, and he says, hey, let's do something else. He says in verse 8, his, and he says, we should ask a prophet of the true God, and Ahab, his response is hilarious. I, I love it. There is one more man who we could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. And, and he hates this guy because he never agrees with him. He never goes along with his plan. And he said, I hate this guy. And he never asks himself the question of maybe the reason why he goes against him is because he's doing evil stuff, right? There's one person who's actually able to stand up to him. And as we think about this, you know, we can pause. It's really interesting. This is not actually the first interaction that Ahab has had with Micaiah. Clearly, there has been some sort of interaction with them that Micaiah has told him things that he didn't like before. Scripture even tells us of other places that the prophet Elijah talks with Ahab, tries to set him straight. God has been trying to get to Ahab. Which is an interesting way for us to think about this. You know, sometimes we think about evil people and that maybe God would just be done with them. But God hasn't been done with him. God has been knocking on Ahab's door. God's been trying to get to Ahab. Hey, listen, you need to respond. You, you're from Israel. I want you to respond. So it's, and so it's not just one decision that's happened. There's been this history of Ahab resisting God's work in his life. But God doesn't want to be done with him, even in this moment. Hey, listen, what would it mean for us even if we have maybe resisted God for a long time or have done things our own way, have had our own plans, to be able to ask the question, what would it mean if God's knocking on my door for me to open the door a little bit? Because it's going to take courage to do that. It takes courage for us to relinquish some control and let God start his program for us rather than just continuing our own program. Not, maybe not just in the big things, but in lots of the little things as well that God would have his program in our lives. And God's been maybe knocking on the door for you to say, hey, I want you to let me in, to not keep me at arm's length anymore. And maybe God's been knocking on the door, even saying, hey, I, I want to be a part of everything in your life, to, to relinquish control of the way that you handle your relationships, the, the way that you interact with your family or other people around you, your spouse. Hey, last week we talked about God in in 
in, in involving himself in my relationship with my neighbors. We talked about that last week. That maybe God is involving, we have to relinquish control the way that we use our money. That God would help us to not use it on frivolous things, but to become people who are very generous. And we use our money for the people around us to bless other people and to, to move ministry, to do things like that, to just care for people in marginalized or in need. And we can relinquish control even of how God uses our sexuality. And maybe there's ways that God wants to move us out of something that's broken, like being, being addicted to porn or something, that God wants to work in that. And it's hard, especially if there are things, all of those things are places where we have habits, where we have, uh, where it feels like God's kind of getting involved in something that God shouldn't be. Uh, but what would it mean for us if God's knocking on our door to begin to open it a crack? God, I want to let you in because I think that you have something good for me. And Ahab was resisting him in that. But it's going to be hard to relinquish control in that. And it's, it's funny, you know, it is kind of funny that we don't want to relinquish control. We have, we have kind of a strange fantasy that we're actually in control. <laughs> that we, we think that the big decisions that we make in life are going to be the only ones that affect us. And like the little ones are not going to affect us. And yet we know, boy, probably the, some of the little decisions that we've made in life can affect us a lot more. If I leave 30 seconds earlier, 30 seconds later, maybe that means that I'm in or if I avoid that accident that I had no control over, right? And that would affect my life a lot more than even what car I bought or uh, what city I'm living in. And we thought that those would be the big questions. They are not. Uh, we, we think that it's all about saying yes to this job or that, but we, we never know uh, what is going to be the thing that affects us. And, and we don't know that maybe saying yes to God, which might seem like a very small thing, could be the thing that would grow to be the decision actually that shapes so much more in our life. I, I remember even the first time I made a decision to follow God, I was uh, at a, got invited to a concert and I said, yes, I want to follow Jesus more. It felt like a very small and a natural kind of decision to me. All the people around me were very excited. Um, but that is the thing that ends up, that decision ended up shaping and affecting the way that I perceive many other decisions in my life. So I wonder if you sense God knocking on your door. God wants to have you open the door in some small way, let a crack for God in, to relinquish some control and let God direct you, not just continue on your own plans. God bless that thing that I already decided, but to actually ask God what he really thinks. All right, our next two are a little more brief. Uh, the second person that we're going to look at is this guy, Micaiah. He is an interesting. Our, our wisdom project will break down if we fail to speak as God would want us to. And Micaiah is actually, he's a good example. He does say what God wants him to. Uh, so it says in verse 13, Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, Look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure you agree with them and promise success. Come on. So much easier. Can we not make this complicated? It's, so he's, Micaiah, though, is a, is a positive example. He's got pressure on him just to cave, make it easy on everybody. Let's not make this take longer than it needs to, but he resists. But Micaiah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. So he's asking the question, do I, am I supposed to please you or am I supposed to please God? With the stuff that I say, am I supposed to please you or should I please God? And I, I'm more afraid of God than I am of you. I love it. Verse 15, 
when Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go against Ramoth-Gilead or should we hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, yes, go up and be victorious, fine, for the Lord will give the king victory. Is that what you want to hear? Fine, do it. Great, good idea. But the king replied sharply, how many times must I demand you to speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? Then Micaiah told him, you, really? <laughs> he goes, in a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed, send them home in peace. Ahab goes, didn't I tell you? Oh my gosh. He's, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. <laughs> I love it. So I, I love the audacity of, of Micaiah who's willing to speak truth to those in power. He's willing to say what they need. And he, he was willing to accept the consequences of that. I, he wasn't under any illusion that this wouldn't have repercussions for him. And in fact, he ends up getting sent to jail, gets bread and water, all that kind of stuff, and he gets sent off for, for that kind of thing. He has great courage to speak God's word and accept the consequences for what that is. And he's not purposely trying to be mean. I don't, I'm not saying that we should be jerks about it, but there's times when we're going to have pressure just to give in and say what everybody else wants, but maybe we have to say what God wants us to say in that moment. And that might be a hard thing. That might be admitting that we have done wrong. Uh, that, it isn't just telling somebody else they're doing something wrong. Maybe it's we have to say, yeah, you know what? I did do that thing, and I, I even did it on purpose, and I'm sorry. Uh, maybe, maybe, we ha- maybe it is that we have to say something to someone else that's hard about the way that is happening that's broken, that's not working. There is a... This is not something that just happens in the Old Testament. This is something that happens today. Uh, writer Lindsey Brown, he tells a story about this guy named Procel da Silva Armando, who came from the West African country of Guinea-Bissau, a small country that uh, they send students, they send their best and brightest to go to France to study and to, to get their higher education. And this particular guy, Procel, he went to France, and during his time in France, he became a follower of Jesus. So... The country expects him to come back. Hey, we got your education, now you come back. And these are kind of people who end up having some positions of power in their country. And this particular guy ended up working for the, uh, he worked for basically kind of like the Supreme Court. He was like a, a court worker there. And they were going to be drafting a law that it would restrict a bunch of the activities of Christians in religious people, but specifically of Christians in their country is what they were looking to do. And this thing got handed off to the Supreme Court and got handed off to him as the assistant that he was supposed to draft this new law. And he, it came back that he, was, he spoke to the leader of his country. He said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't write this. I can't do this thing. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean you can't write this thing? He said, well, I'm, I'm going to admit to you, I, I can't write this thing because if I did that, I would be affecting my brothers and sisters because I'm a Christian, and I, I can't be the person to do this thing. He had to accept what is going to happen next. In his case, it ended up being good for him. The, the president was actually really happy that he was so bold, and uh, they ended up adjusting how that law was going to be written, and they didn't do it in the same way. Uh, so he, that ended up affecting him, but he, it didn't kick him out of government. In fact, he went on a different project, and eventually he, he ended up, some other time, he was asked to be the, uh, a much higher position in his country that he turned down, but he did continue to have influence in his country. But he had bravery. He had to, even as a young guy, he had to be able to speak back to the president and say, I'm not going to go along with the thing that you want me to do. He could only say 
what God would want him to say. So you also, you're maybe not in positions where you are speaking oftentimes to high government officials, but there are times that we are surrounded by people who will pressure us to say just what they want us to say. Maybe we have to be able to say in, uh, to ourselves in our heart, I can only say what God wants me to say. Maybe not too much, maybe not too little. Maybe that's going to constrain us from what we say. Maybe that's going to press us to say something that we wouldn't otherwise. All right, the third person that we run into is this guy, Jehoshaphat. And we see that our wisdom project, our project to try to be courageous and, and bold and make wise decisions, it breaks down when we fail to act on what we know is right. One of them is speaking. So Micaiah, he does speak what he knows. And we, we are tempted, we fail sometimes when we don't say or we do say things that we're not supposed to, but we, we don't say what we know is right or we do say what we know is wrong. And Jehoshaphat is going to be the one now where we, he fails to act on what he knows is right. So this is 1 Kings 22, and beginning in verse 29, it says this. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. Of everyone in this whole story, I think this is one that I, I think I identify the most with. Maybe you do as well. Uh, this is, I think we can relate to him. He's basically a good guy. Uh, he wants to do what, he at least asks the question, hey, maybe we should listen to God on this thing. We should, we should hear what it is there. He's not evil like Ahab. He's not maybe as bold as Micaiah, but he, he's somebody who, his weak point ends up being that he doesn't really want to make waves. Maybe it's just easier for me to, to kind of keep going, not say anything. He's, he did have some courage. Hey, maybe we need to ask God about this thing. He, he does do that, but he doesn't end up, it doesn't end up affecting the way that he makes his next decision. And maybe you've been in situations like that too, where you've been with friends, you didn't want to make too many waves. You didn't want to rock the boat too much. You didn't want to say what you felt like you needed to say or do what you needed to do. You didn't want to draw attention to those things. And, and I, if we think about his situation, Jehoshaphat's situation is complicated. His son married, Jehosh, uh, married Ahab's daughter. Maybe that was a bad decision on his part, but he's literally sitting there with like his fellow king buddy, and uh, he's also his son's father-in-law. Maybe you've had situations where you've been with your kids' in-laws, and that is sometimes a little bit touchy. It's a touchy territory, and I, I, don't, I, I think that we have to recognize how complicated that is for him. And, but Ahab's ready to roll on to war. Jehoshaphat's like, he hears all these different speeches about these things, and literally the, the last thing that he hears as Micaiah leaves, we didn't read this part, was Micaiah's leaving. Like, I, I picture him kind of getting dragged off. His last words are, mark my words. Like a, it's like a cartoon. Mark my words. And so that's the last thing he hears. And then what's the decision that gets made? Well, so Jehoshaphat and Ahab went off to war. Did he, I can't believe he, I kind of can't believe he ends up going along. Um, but I, I kind of identify with it. Because you don't want him to rock the boat. And there's, there are all these cultural pressures telling us to go in certain ways or friendship pressures that want us to take certain decisions and, and in the end, that's the thing that ends up driving us more than we say, I know that this is the thing that's right and I should probably do this or that. Because like for Jehoshaphat, there's like 400 times probably 
more pressure, like 400 prophets, more pressure to go in one direction than to go in the other, even if that's the right one. There, there are hard things that God does say in Scripture, and I think it's easy for us to be maybe embarrassed of those things. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And we can maybe feel like we shouldn't be people who speak those kinds of things or act in such a way that it looks like we believe that that's true. There's a lot of pressure. And there, there are some people in our culture, I think we start to feel pressure that we would maybe um, round off the, speaking, the, the, the speeches or the sayings of Jesus or the actions that we would do in order to never offend anybody else. And, I, and I'm not saying, I think there are plenty of Christians who do things offensively that not for a purpose, but I'm saying we, we might think that if, maybe if we just make our church look like it's just loving enough, then people will want to be attracted to it. If we, if we, if, if it's only, if we never say anything that would offend our culture's values, then maybe that would be attractive to other people. But the problem with that is, is that perfect love in the form of Christ appeared in our world, taught and did everything perfectly, but he was crucified and rejected, abandoned. So he's, he's our example of living a courageous and wise life, and it didn't always, it doesn't mean that things are going to go easy for him. He was willing to accept what the consequences were. He recognized that there is a, a difference between the kingdom of God and its values and the kingdom of the world. Those, that, is, that does not overlap with our political views always. Uh, those are different things. Uh, we, but we want to, we have to recognize that, that Christ is the example for us of somebody who makes wise yet courageous decisions. And he's the one who does all of these three things well. He's the one who relinquished control of his life to the Father. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When he knew he needed to go to the cross. He, he spoke not his own words, but he said, I only say what the Father wants me to say. He was somebody who was willing to do that and accept the consequences of that. Christ acted and did what was right in all of his circumstances. He didn't do what was just popular. He didn't do what led to his own self-preservation, but he, he did what would serve the world. And I think that these are, are things that can drive us as we think about our points of failure as we're making decisions. We want to be people who, who listen to God, who say what God wants us to say, to do what God wants us to do. But in all of that, the biggest question is going to be what's driving us? And that, that first question, the one for Ahab, is the one that affects the other two the most. Is God going to be the one in control? Am I even willing, if God's knocking on my door, for me to hear what he has to say, to crack the door open a bit? Because that small decision is the one that will grow to affect all of our other decisions. In fact, it's the one that determines our eternity. That the other bad decisions, the things that I regret in my life are going to actually get smaller and smaller in the light of what Christ has done for me. And, the, and following God is the one that gets bigger and bigger. Everything else gets relativized according to my relationship with God. So my failures as a father are affected. I know that God is in control. My, my failures as a pastor, 
God is the one who determines what happens. And for you, your failures as a spouse or as a human, (laughs) our failures, the things that we regret in this life will not be things that we regret forever. Because God is the one who shapes our eternity. That Christ is the one who died and gave his life for us. So the thing that shapes more than anything else is our relationship with God because that's going to be the thing that will reverberate into eternity. And the other things, yes, they're the things that we get healed from. God, those are going, God can use everything else and still turn it for his good. It's not, nothing else is a forever lost thing. So our challenge this week is to ask ourselves, what, what are some of the things that are driving our decisions? And I wonder if we would just start to ask that question. Why am I making this decision? I, I chose this thing, and just to be able to go, you know what, I didn't go shake Dick Van Dyke's hand because I was kind of afraid what other people would think, right? Let's just be honest for a minute. Am I making this decision for me, or is it for something else? And to begin to say, God, how would you knock on the door of my heart? in this circumstance? What does it mean for me to begin to let you in? For me to begin to have courage to speak your words and only your words to other people, uh, the words that you would approve of, to do actions, to do things that only you would want us to do. I think that that would end up shaping the life of our community, our church, that if we were people who tried hard to make decisions that, that we uh, can be behind, and then when there are decisions that we do regret, that we don't have to be owned by those either, that we would be able to be people who say, yeah, I totally regret that thing, but you know what, here, here is how powerful my God is. It, it makes us, like those things don't stick to us anymore. We don't have to take pride in all of our great decisions. We don't have to hide either from the things that should have gone in a better way. I think that that would make us a community of people who have vibrancy and life I think it's going to give us more confidence as we make our decisions as well. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask you to help us to be people who make decisions with clarity and purpose. And as Christians, they will do it in a way that, that points to you as the Savior. I'm not the Savior of my own life, that you are. That what wisdom I have, you've given us as well. And and what failures there are, those things are covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross. So we we give ourselves to you so that that we don't worry about what other people think, but about what you think. May we, no matter how far along in our journey, if we have been maybe going a long ways in one direction like Ahab, may we still be willing to open our hearts to you and let you in to shape us, we pray in your name. Amen. As we continue in worship, we're going to...